things. A couple weeks ago, I received a text on a Sunday evening. They were in Seattle from one of the brothers, and he said, where are you? Is everything okay? I texted him back, and I assured him everything was good. I, uh, I reported to him, and I will report to you the birth of a healthy granddaughter. And so now, Sister Lori and I are here, and we're thankful that we're here in this last meeting of the Tabernacle Meetings. And so we'll take for a text from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, beginning at verse 22, these words. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The context here in Exodus chapter 15 is uh, the first 21 verses are what's known as the Song of Moses. It's a, a poetic celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian enslavement, and in particular, the vanquishing of Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. But more broadly than that, it, it celebrates God's presence and God's great power to do for them what no other God anywhere at any time could do. You see, God heard their sighing. God heard their crying, their groaning, the scripture says. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham. He sent a deliverer, Moses, who had been educated at what I like to call the university of the backside of the desert. When he was a young man, he thought he, he knew exactly what God had in mind and how God was going to work and Things didn't exactly work out that way. You find that out sometimes when you're a young man. But if you're faithful and you hang on, God will teach you and God will work with you. And Moses spent a lot of time in the, in the backside of the desert shepherding sheep until the day that a burning bush caught his attention. And God caught his attention once again. And God raised him up as a mighty deliverer. Well, stubborn Pharaoh tried to retain control as God sent plagues one by one. Culminating finally in the death of the firstborn throughout all of Egypt. You know, re resisting God is really not a very profitable thing to do. The price is really high. And, and I know we live in a world today where people think it's, it's almost in, in fashion to resist God. But uh, uh, my first pastor, Brother Norman Allen, I remember him saying, God does not collect all of his accounts in July. You can be sure that God is just and God is fair and God will collect what needs to be collected when the time comes. And sure enough, God collected from Pharaoh. 
The time finally came when, when Pharaoh was broken and he let the children of Israel go. And, and they journeyed out uh, into the wilderness to worship God. But they hadn't gone more than the snap of the finger just about before Pharaoh thought, what have I done? And he took out after them with an army. You know the story. They came up to the Red Sea and they didn't know what to do. And Pharaoh's army was quick behind them. And there, were, there was a, a rock on one side and a rock on the other side. And it's there that God told Moses, stand still and see the salvation of God. And, and we know the, the wonderful story, how the next day a, a, a great wind came as Moses held out the rod of God and parted the Red Sea, and the, and the children of Israel went across on dry ground. But we know that, that soon after, Pharaoh and his armies tried to make that same trip, but just to make sure that they didn't think it was climate change or something like that, God took the wheels off the chariots right in the middle of the sea. And they were all drowned. So we know there was a wonderful story. And, and, and we have recorded in Exodus 15 the song of Moses. And, and, and you read it, and it's just exciting how God worked. And then they went three days into the wilderness. Maybe 40 miles. 600,000 people, plus women and ch- men, plus women and children, maybe 3 million people. And, and, and just three days in, there's no water. And while that may seem like a, a bit of a small thing in the desert, that's a matter of life and death. And finally, they come to a place where there is water, but the water is bitter. The Hebrew word mar means bitter, and that's why the place is called Mara. And so the children of Israel, the Bible says, they murmured against Moses. It's a common theme if you keep reading but this is the first time out. But Moses knew what to do. Moses didn't even hesitate. He says he cried to the Lord. And when he cried to the Lord, God was faithful. And, and the Bible says, and God showed Moses a tree. And when he put that tree in the water, the waters became sweet. You know, these people had been enslaved for hundreds of years. They've been miraculously delivered. They fled for their lives. God has destroyed Pharaoh and his armies. And, and they, they haven't made any of their own decisions for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, it, it must have felt a little bit overwhelming. What do I do? But all they really needed to do was just follow. You know, when the Lord showed Moses a tree, it, it really was quite a miraculous event. Now, I don't know whether it was something chemical uh, in that particular species of tree that, that counteracted the bitterness. I, I don't know if, if, if God miraculously showed Moses that in a quantity that would somehow make all of that change, or, or if it was just Moses' simple obedience and taking the tree and putting in the water that he showed him, that, that God turned those waters sweet, but those people drank. I was thinking about us today. You know, life sometimes sends us bitter water, doesn't it? Maybe not of 
our own making. The children of Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and what started out as a good arrangement uh, was perverted by a later Pharaoh and turned it turned into bondage. And, and the Bible says in, in I believe it's uh, the first chapter of Exodus, how, how it turned to bitterness for the children of Israel. They knew what bitterness tasted like. They knew what a life of bitterness was. And when they got to this place with bitter water, they recognized it. You know, sometimes even after miraculous deliverance, when God is working, life gets a little bitter. Remember the story of Elijah? On Mount Carmel, we love to, to read the story how the prophets of Baal called and, and, and nothing happened. The prophets of the grove called and nothing happened. But, but God answered by fire and, 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 and it was a wonderful thing. But then you find within a couple days, Elijah's fleeing for his life from Queen Jezebel. He's exhausted physically. He's emotionally spent. He seems close to spiritually bankrupt after this great victory. Remember, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of Israel, and I'm the only one less. He'd been drinking some bitter water, folks. Sometimes bitterness just has a way of sneaking in. Ephesians 4.31 says that we need to be really careful to make sure bitterness and anger and malicious evil speaking is put away from us. Colossians 3.19, in a family situation, warns husbands not to be bitter against their wives. I mean, the, the Word of God is very practical. It gets right down where we live and right down how, how each one of us has to deal with life. Uh, Hebrews 12.15 uh, encourages all of us to, to be diligent lest we fail of God's grace. And a root of bitterness springs up and then begins to defile not only us, it troubles us, but then it defiles many around about us. Bitterness is a serious thing. You know, we'd all like to live on the mountaintop, wouldn't we? We want Passover deliverance. We want Red Sea parting. We want great prayer meetings. We want healings. We want the glory of God to flow as it has many times even in this very building. And I believe that that can certainly be the case. But I've lived long enough to know intuitively that life isn't always like that. Even the Apostle Paul, the Bible says, was, was bes, uh, beset with a thorn in the flesh. He called it the messenger of Satan to buffet him. And, and he, he even understood that God had sent it to make sure uh, that his pride was kept in, in check and that he was humble. But, but he pled with God, could this thing please be taken away? Three times. And, and finally God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, this past year has been a little challenging for many around the world. Sickness, loss, isolation, persecution, economic difficulties, the list goes on. And oh, we just go down that list. And, and you know, I, 
I suppose we can find it easy to be discouraged sometimes or disillusioned or, or, or allow bitterness to, to begin to, to creep in. But, and, and actually for many, like Israel, it's a matter of life and death, physically in some cases and certainly spiritually. But just as God showed Moses a tree, God has shown you and me a tree. Our tree is Calvary. The cross upon which Jesus died. Literally, the most bitter symbol of death known in the Roman world was transformed into a symbol of sweet hope and redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. And better than just that transformation, it has been made available to you and to me to put into the bitter water that comes our way. It's not just something that we put on the wall. The cross, that tree uh, upon which Jesus hung, it, it, it symbolizes the sweetness of redemption, the sweetness of salvation. The, the fact that, that the things that the devil meant for evil, God intends for good. Peter, the apostle, told the high priests in the Sanhedrin after they forbade he and the apostles from preaching after they healed the paralytic man at the beautiful gate. He said to them, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. There's a story in the Old Testament, another that uh, I'll just paraphrase quickly here, um, that speaks to the same issue, and and uh, it's one of my my grandchildren's favorites. It's a story of a of a mother of a wife. Her name was Naomi, but she was living through hard times. There was a famine in the land, and she and her husband and and sons went to a neighboring country and. And life was hard. They thrived for a little while, but then pretty soon she, she is widowed. Then her sons marry in that country, and, and then her sons die. That's tough times, folks. That's life, and it happens across the board to lots of people. And finally she decides that she'll, she'll go back to uh, Israel from, from the foreign country and we love to read the story of Ruth, how she, she says to her, entreat me not to leave you, and, and this beautiful story. But, but you have to understand, this beautiful story is born out of bitterness and pain and loss. She gets back to Israel, and, and Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mar, because God's dealt bitterly with me. Well, that's Mar. And as a, as a widowed woman in that culture, she not only has no status, no authority, she cannot even redeem the inheritance that belonged to her husband and son. She's lost. She, she, she just fears, well, 
I'm back here. I'll just throw myself, I guess, on, on God's mercy. But she and her and her immigrant daughter, Ruth, there, there was a redeemer in town that they didn't recognize. We read in the King James, they call, they call Boaz a kinsman. But if you go back to the, the Hebrew there, literally it means a kinsman redeemer. The one who has the responsibility to give his life for those in his family. And, and you find this story, and we, and we love to read about it, how, how Boaz opened his, his field and his arms of protection over Ruth. And then she comes home and Naomi says, God, is it working this thing? And the story goes on and the romance develops and it's just this beautiful story of, of how God works. And, and when you read it, you get a little farther down. And, and I, I love how it says in Ruth 14, the women are now talking to Naomi. She's a grandma now. You see, Ruth and Boaz have married. They've had a son named Obed who turned out to be the grandfather of King David. But, it, but the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, without a redeemer, that his name may be famous in Israel. We have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. His name is famous in Israel and all the world because there's no redeemer like him. And he gave his life on a tree. God has shown us a tree. God has shown you a tree. You know, sin will give bitterness. No matter what you call it, no matter how they advertise it, no matter uh, how the news casts it, sin will give you bitterness. Isaiah said, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. It says they put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Sin's a hard taskmaster. And even the saints sometimes that are redeemed experience difficult times. Israel did. Elijah did. You will. I, I will. But God has shown us a tree. We have a sister in Seattle. She's 90 years old. She went to Sunday school with her grandma when she was little. Later at the age of 11 after her father was saved, she declared, I want that. It's the way she told us a couple mothers days ago. And, and uh, she said, I want that. And so she got saved. And, and later she, she grew up. She married. She had some children. And then she immigrated from the southern part of the United States all the way to Seattle. She was in her, in her late 20s. It was in the 60s. At that time, not necessarily an easy time for an African-American woman to raise a family in a West Coast city. But there she was, and, and she raised five kids, 18 grandkids. The last time I visited her, she had th several of her great-grandkids there, and I think she was raising them, too. She was widowed after 50 years of marriage. She lost one of her sons. Just, just some, you know, a lot of life. And I talked to her literally just a few weeks ago, and I tried to get her to tell me about some of those hard times that she went through. And she just started to, to kind of chuckle a little, and she said, But, Pastor, we have Jesus. She wouldn't tell me one hard 
she was 11 years old, God showed her a tree. And, and she'd just been putting that tree in the bitter water every time it came up. When she lost her husband, when she lost her son, when she wasn't treated right, when things weren't going right at the church, when things weren't going right at home, she just kept putting that tree in the water, and the waters keep coming back sweet. Would to God that, in fact, I told my wife, oh, I wish I could have that kind of spirit when I get to be 90 years old. Not a complaint. In fact, she told me, one time she called me, literally, in the last year she called me, she said, Pastor, I called to check on you. I said, to check on it. Well, I was, I was thinking you might be a little discouraged, and I wanted to call and check on you. Now, I thought the pastors were supposed to check on the people. But I'll tell you what, when the saints start checking on the pastors, that's good news. Somebody got a hold of something that made the bitter sweet. Well, we'll, we'll close uh, with the words of a, a song. I was inspired last weekend listening to Sister McElveen. Love the hymn that she quoted, but I this this is maybe a little more modern song. I I like all sorts of styles, but I, I heard the lyrics of this song and they just inspired me. Begins and I'll just paraphrase them for you. It begins like this: Help is on the way. Maybe midnight, maybe midday. He's never late. He will stand by his claims. He hears your hurt and your pain. He, in the dark, in the rain, when you're alone, when you're afraid, you can always pray in Jesus' name. And I love this part. Maybe it's just because I'm getting gray hair. He says, I've lived enough life to say, help is on the way. In the middle of the, of the song, there's this place where the, the songwriter wrote, he said, well, I've seen my share of trouble, but the Lord hasn't failed me yet. He says, I'm holding on to his promises that he's rolling up his sleeves again. Now, that's, that's just a paraphrase of Psalm 98, where it talks about how God will deliver us with his strong right arm. And tonight I want to tell you, on this last night of the tabernacle meetings, God is still here with his strong right arm. And God is still in the delivering business. And Calvary's tree still stands strong and available to cast into the bitterness that life has sent you. Maybe you're in sin tonight. Maybe, maybe you are just overwhelmed with the bitterness of sin. Tonight you can walk out of here with sweetness in your soul like you've never experienced. And then maybe life just hasn't really been fair. That happens. Sometimes we ask God, why is it happening this way? But saints, be encouraged. God has shown us a tree. We can just keep putting that tree into the bitter waters that come. And like the sister in Seattle, we can just say, but we have Jesus. We can, we have Jesus. And, you know, if some of the difficulties of the last year, year and a half, maybe... Maybe there have been some cracks somewhere in your experience and some bitterness has just eked in there. I'd like to challenge you to begin this new church year with all of that transformed into sweetness. And you just say, that was back there, but I, I made a fresh trip to Calvary. On the last night at the tabernacle meetings, I opened my heart and, 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 I, and I said, God, 
the pastor said that help is on the way and I need help. I need that to be taken care of. And God will do it for you. Even tonight, if you will pray, help is on the way. Your bitterness can be made sweet. The Spirit of God will work if you will pray. God bless each one of you as we stand and sing.